If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Women Physicians Lead, hosted by Dr. Lisa Herbert, helps women physicians move from surviving to thriving in their personal and professional lives. Dr. Lisa shares leadership tips, burnout support, stress management strategies, and inspiration from women physicians who've made remarkable transitions into leadership roles. There's a fantastic episode that you should check out called Taking Care of Yourself During the Journey about how women physicians can care for themselves while on their leadership journeys. Check out Women Physicians Lead on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Better with Dr. Erica. Don't you want to be better, do better, and live better? With 21 years of experience in human behavior, Dr. Erica will help you put the you back in your life. Now, take this time to focus on opening yourself to this experience and let Dr. Erica pour into you. And here's your host, Dr. Erica. What's up, people? Welcome to Better with Dr. Erica. I am so excited to have you with me today and to do this quality time up in your ears. So today I have a super special guest. Yes, I said it. I know I say all my guests are special, but this one is a treat. This is someone from, I'd have to sit, call this old school. This is someone I went to school with. This is Terrell Fletcher. Now, one of the things is I tend to have sometimes these guests that seem to and somehow have reinvented themselves. And one of the interesting things about Terrell is he went from being a professional football player to being in the pulpit. And one of the things we're going to talk about today is how this journey actually happened, because it's actually really really intriguing. I'd love to tell you a lot about him, but you know what? No one could tell you about Terrell better than Terrell. So number one, welcome Terrell. And can you tell the people a little bit about yourself if they don't already know you? Let me start by saying it is so good to see you, Erica. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it has been at least 15 years since I've laid eyes on you. So it is amazing to see you and congratulations on just being amazing, um, you know, being the service that you give the community, the podcast, the whole shebang, you are really inspiration. So thanks oh, for I that. mean, I feel like I'm getting virtual hugs on your intro. You really are. That's what happens. I, I haven't seen you. So I would hug you if we were in person. So it's great. But it really is. It's fantastic to see you, who you, who you are and who you've become has been. It's really an inspiration. Yeah. Oh, thank you. But, you know, we could go <laughs> on and on. And, you know, I can honestly say that one of the beautiful things about growing up and getting older is this ability to have these conversations, especially with people that you knew way, way back in the day. And then you reconnect and you have these conversations as 100% full-fledged adults. And it's right. so intriguing to, to look at all of these life perspectives because, I'm still going to circle back because he still hasn't told you a thing about himself other than he thinks I'm great, which I love. But there is this one fun fact, and I don't know if he even remembers. This is someone, you know how I've told you all before that uh, my dating life was trash in high school. It was trash. It was total trash. I actually asked Terrell to prom. <laughs> and oh. he said no. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
I didn't I quite say no. I already you had, had a prom date. date. You had a date. Uh, yes, I already had a prom date. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I've forgotten that until just now this moment. <laughs> oh my god that's a great piece of trivia you know like that that's a great the funny thing is 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 you know high school so many of our minds was some of the greatest moments of our lives you know for me it was one of the last levels of peer friendships that i had because of the way my professional world went there are not a, there are not a lot of solid friendships that can be made in the entertainment space in the sporting space because people come and go so much and sometimes you're not even sure um, why they're there. But high school was one of those spaces where just like when we were doing the show prep a couple of weeks ago, I mean we were on the phone for an hour and a half just <laughs> like we didn't like we never stopped talking. You know, it was almost like we yeah. just continued a conversation from last week when in fact it was a conversation from 2005 we were picking up. And <laughs> um, <laughs> so but it you know, oh, what a mistake I made. <laughs> It is okay. Our lives both turned out great. So yes. luckily I was not scarred for life. You weren't going to be scarred for and life. It probably worked out for the best. So trust me, <laughs> I might have did you a favor. <laughs> <laughs> it is all good. But can, can you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, it, it, like you said, I, I, I'm, I'm on this end of the spectrum now where I, I it motivate educate, entertain almost every person that I try to run across. And for me, my life's journey is helping men and women through the transformation of their life. And by that, I don't just mean, you know, the things that we switch, but helping men and women that are just ready to do something different with their journey, make something more out of their lives, whether they've had a monumental life or whether it's not going the way they want it to go. That's the, that's the space I play in now. I took that journey just like you from St. Louis, you know, uh, second of five children and had a passion for sports. Our entire family had a passion for sports scholarship to Wisconsin, ultimately got to live out my dream. Every child's dream in our high school was to play professional sports <laughs> Uh, and that's how I got to California. I was drafted by the San Diego Chargers and I played for uh, nine years here in San Diego. And I just never left. I stayed here and never left. And I had to do like many athletes after you're finished playing and giving so much energy to one passion. You kind of have to reinvent yourself and determine what you're going to give the world now, because most of us retire, you know, before we're 35. And we have a lot of living left and the journey of transforming my, my life and making my experiences usable and finding ways to monetize that idea as well as help as many people as possible. It, it really led me into the space that I'm in now, which is um, ministry related, but also um, inspirational and motivational um, writing, speaking, entertainment, etc. Um, and I, I think I just kind of caught you up. In the meantime, I picked up a beautiful wife and three amazing children. And yeah, they are the reason why I work so hard every day of my life. We've got two young, young ones running around the house now. Uh, they're one and a half, they'll be two in December. 
And they bring a whole different level of light and energy <laughs> to the household. So that glow that you're feeling, you know, my wife makes it happen around the house. But it's those babies. It's those two young ones. They're twins, a boy and a girl. And mm-hmm. they bring a whole different energy back to the house. Well, and one of the things I have to say, though, and it's it's a beautiful thing, is that the people can't see exactly how you look right now. But you light up when you talk about your family. And I think like as a little girl growing up, that's the thing you want. You want you want to be married to someone, be it whatever your orientation is. But you want to be married to someone that when they speak of you and they speak of your family, that they light up and that looks like a source of joy and meaning for them. So I have to say thank you. For all the ladies out here, and I'm sorry, ladies, if you see what he looks like, he ain't available. (laughs) But I want to say thank you for giving people hope and being an example, even though I know everything's not perfect all the time, but just an example of of someone that actually looks in love with their family. I appreciate that. I I am in love with my family. it's It's really being married and having children is the joy of my life. I the, the interesting thing, Eric, is I used to want this as a child. Like almost the way that the, the girls used to idolize falling in love and having a great family. I used to want to fall in love and have a great family. And my dad was such an amazing father. And you, you don't learn about the rocky and the roads that, mm-hmm. that happen in a marriage until you're much older. But from a child's oh, perspective, definitely. yeah, from a child's perspective, you know, my parents had a solid marriage and my dad was in fact, and still is just like my best friend in life. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to share that with children. I wanted to be my wife's best friend. I wanted to lean in. And when I realized as I got older, I realized that it was okay. It was authentic to who I was. It didn't make me less of a man. It didn't make me, you know, not macho enough. I leaned into it. I leaned into it and said, man, this is what I want out of life. And this is the dude I want to be. And I want to love my family and I want to be loved by my family. I want to, you know, press into my children and make them the center of my world. And everything else will evolve and revolve around that versus making them evolve and revolve around my my career. So it worked out, man. I'm just blessed. I really am in a great season. I'm glad you noticed that. So um, hopefully my wife will give you some kudos and give me some kudos when uh, she reads and listens to this podcast. So one of the things that is so intriguing and one of the things I loved because we're going to bounce around a couple of things is I know you talked about your family and growing up in a large family and anyone, if someone is on here that actually went to school with us, there were a couple of really well-known, very large families. I was not from one. I'm an only child. But it was really cool reading or listening to your book. And one of the neat things about listening to it was it's the first time I've read or listened to a book that referenced where I was from. So so it's kind of cool because it's like you're sitting here like, oh, I know that. Oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah. And then also seeing some similar experiences through someone else's eyes or perspective. Because we all know each other, 
but it's it's not like Terrell and I were besties. I was I was super band geek. It's intriguing just seeing how all of this was through your lens versus the lens I had running at parallel times. Yeah. The book of you was an emanation of has really been a blessing because it's kind of catching a second wind all of a sudden. And we don't know why. Maybe it's just where our country is in, where our nation is in right now. But mm-hmm. I wrote this book because I wanted to talk about that period between when I retired from the NFL to when I kind of found a life's purpose and how to transition from career to purpose, how to transition from work to to purpose, how to move from success to significance. Mm-hmm. And that's what I needed, you know, and uh, so it's called the, the book of you discover God's plan and transform your future. And obviously it's, it's kind of a, a faith self-help book in that regard. And the journey did take me back to St. Louis. The journey took me back to how we grew up. It took me back to how, how simple times were before people gave you big paychecks and how easy it was to determine your friends before you were looked at as being a particular kind of person in community and how authentic I felt like I could be versus who my journey somewhat turned me into. And I had to reconnect with that. When you hear stories about St. Louis and stories about our our high school days and just remembering (laughs) what it was like, those are the stories that had to help me get regrounded. Remembering that, remembering who we were, remembering laughing and dodging the, the smoking circle in high school. You know, remember that? Remember that? And or going down to the wrestling pit or what it was like to hang out at the McDonald's on Parker Road after a football game. <laughs> Those were the moments that... Those days at Shoney's. Re- yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely. Shoney's. Oh, my God. So... <laughs> But those were the, the moments that re, re-centered me and regrounded me because at 31 years old, I wasn't happy. At 31 years old, I wasn't satisfied. I was wholly successful, but I, but I wasn't satisfied. My faith was at an all-time high, but I wasn't satisfied. I had people in my life that were, you know, friends, I guess, but I wasn't satisfied. So... Part of discovering who I was in that moment, I had to go back and rediscover who I was back mm-hmm. in St. Louis. Yeah. But it, but it's interesting how if you can have those moments of self-awareness and retrospection, yeah. it's amazing how many lessons we see in our own lives when we stop and look back and aren't just literally in the middle of it. And that kind of takes me to our next topic because one of the things I noticed when I was reading your book and one of the things I I actually was thinking about that was so was actually end up being answered in your book but I I love to talk about it here for the peeps is when you had this moment and you started looking back and I know a lot of times we'll see we'll see moments of when our purpose or our gifts were revealed that we didn't know at that time where were you or where were you in your life when you felt that you had the calling to shift into ministry and embracing your spirituality in a way that cast a net further than just your or your immediate circle versus when you felt it was time or 
you were ready to step into it? I actually started to embrace faith. Um, I, I was always around faith. Let me start there. Mm-hmm. I was always around faith. Around the time that I moved to San Diego is when I really reconnected. You know, I said California was an interesting nut to crack because we lived around a certain kind of person in the Midwest. And in California, it's more like every different type of person in America meets in California. You know, they meet in California or New York, every (laughs) kind of person. And the groundedness, just being grounded and not slipping away into what professional sports afforded me the opportunity to slip away into. I didn't want to make mistakes as a 21-year-old that I made as an 18-year-old as a freshman in college, right? So I, I, I realized that that was a part of my journey. I wanted to connect. I wanted to always stay centered from a spiritual perspective. And Jesus Christ offered that to me. And I've been wholly grateful and I met guys that also played professional football that felt the same way. Now, none of us were perfect, so I don't want you guys to think that we, you know, we came out as, as you know, monks or anything. But we had a grounding. We had a, a lighthouse that if we drifted off that we could come back to. Mm-hmm. That was important um, for me. And that probably took place around 21, 22 years old. Okay. It wasn't until about 13 or so years later that I realized that I wanted to make empowerment, empowerment through faith, empowerment through self-empowerment to be a part of my journey. Now, the irony of it, while you were talking about something early, I started thinking about being a child and you're your most authentic self, the younger you are. The Mm -hmm. older we grow, the more we drift away from our authentic self. Life makes us be somebody else. And that happened to me, too. I looked up at 17, 18, 19, and I was not the guy you knew at 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And at 20, 21, I was even further away from the guy you knew in 92, 93, mm-hmm. you know. So I had to recapture that because in my authenticity, I remember I used to galvanize people and inspire people and grow them. At 16, 17, I did the same thing when I was 10 in the fifth grade. I could grab my three. Hey, we're, you're on my kickball team and you're on my kickball team and your job is to do this. And, you're, and I used to do that as a that was who I authentically was. And as life went on, life just will, will, if you're not careful, life will tell you who you should be when life should not be given the power to tell you who you should mm-hmm. be. You know who you are. And if you dare step into accepting the way God made you and offer the world what God gave you, then that's when you really find, you know, joy and excitement and and energy about your, your deal. And for me, it took me about 13 years. Well, one, I was playing football, a professional sports it, it was very different then than it is today. Today, these guys have more time to do other things. Back then, you lived in, you know, it was a 16-hour day. I had no idea who I was because all I knew was that every day of my life, I woke up learning how to run a nine route, learning how to run a seven cut, learning how to run a dig, learning what a three, four defense is, and what happens when a double dink turns into a, a three, four. Like, those were the things I could have told you inside out 
But if you would have asked the 25-year-old Terrell Fletcher, what meal do you like that doesn't include steak? I could not have given you a good answer. Well, the the thing that's intriguing about that is I was never a professional athlete. But one of the things that's unique is that there are periods of time that a lot of people have that are very similar to that. So as you had all these days that was football, sun up, sun down, it makes me think of like when I was in medical school. And one of the common experiences everyone had is you ate, drank, and slept medical school. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you, you literally would forget what hobbies you had, what you wanted, what you used to like to do, anything you did for fun, and everything became laser focused on this one thing. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons I actually even started this podcast is for a lot of people, you get sucked up in the busyness of life or adulting and all of these tasks. And a lot of times it almost it strips away from your identity of who actually you are. It's your identity becomes your career or you're someone's mom or you're someone's dad or it, it, it has nothing, no longer anything to do with who you actually really are. Adulting is so overrated, right? And, 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 and primarily because, you know, as we, as we grow and mature, we pick up responsibilities and we let the responsibilities of life sometimes shift our identity and who we are. And you're right. For me, it was professional football. For somebody else, it's the, the quest to be a doctor or to be an attorney. For somebody else, that period, you know, you lose your identity in parenting or maybe you lose your identity in a marriage. But sometimes we end up trading off our identity in order to manage our responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to. You don't have to. We, I looked up and I was 31 years old, wanting to have this family and be married and all this kind of stuff. I had a pocket full of money and I had no real purpose in my journey. Now, the big difference with professional athletes is this. One of the differences with being a professional athlete is playing professional sports gives you this parenthetic pause in, of real life. So for, for eight and a half years, I wasn't really living real life. I was in, this, I was in a bubble of, mm-hmm. of stuff that never happens to real people. Right. So <laughs> um, and, and, and that happens around the time that people realize you can run faster or catch a ball or shoot a ball better. All of a sudden you get you get these trinkets. You get the biggest piece of pizza in high school. You know, you go to college and all of a sudden the fandom is on a whole nother level. And you go to the pros and, and, you know, sports is pretty much idolized in America. So you get you don't have to do things like an average person has to do things that, you know, they basically come in and they tell you, this is where you're going. And they drive you to that end. So everybody graduates with the same degree, the same, you know, you look at all the athletes have kinesiology and all the athletes are, and I came in and I was like, you know, I I, I love to read and I want to do English literature. And they were like, what athlete reads? When are you going to have time for this? When you And I, I majored in English literature and it kind of threw the equilibrium off so i kept trying to fight for some sense of authenticity it's just that the game didn't really allow you to go out and exercise it. you know it didn't allow it, there was not much time for authentic relationships there was not much time for a love interest a, a, a real love interest 
There was not much time for learning basic things for yourself. I was always underweight. So they basically gave me a food plan every day. I know how I know that food plan better than I know any other food plan. And when I got released, I was like, okay, it's not just what can I do now? But the question was, who am I now? At this space, I'd given so much of my identity over to sports that when people looked at me, they just saw a football player. They didn't even see a guy. They didn't even see a man. They didn't even see a person that was lonely. They didn't see a guy that wanted to, you know, do other things in his career. And it's like, well, what am I going to do with the next 45 years of my life? Yeah. Because I didn't have an opportunity to practice other things. What I knew is that I could play football. I did not know that I could inspire people. I did not know that I could create a business behind it. I did not know that I could speak publicly. I did not know that I love somebody besides myself, that I could love a greater community that was not just me. You know, those were the things that I did, that we didn't get to. And when I talked about transforming, you know, your, your uh, transforming your life and your journey, all of it took a different space of saying, this was great for what you did, but now who will you be and what will you give the world now that you can't give them your athleticism? What will you give the world now? And that was the journey for me. And that's why it was so hard and why it took so long that after after nine years, you go on this three year journey just trying to figure out like, shoot, oh, I'll be a sports announcer. I don't really like sports announcing. Oh, I'll be a coach. I hated coaching. I'll be, you know. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, I went on a missions trip to Nigeria to and I met some of the most amazing people in the world who happened to be some of the poorest people in the world. And my heart just said, this is it. Helping people is it. And I didn't have money to give them and I didn't have gifts to give them. And um, I'll tell you a, a real quick story and, I'll, and we can go into the next question. So I, I'm at the this little marketplace and I've got on my flip flops and I, or my sneakers and I've got on my, my jeans and all this kind of stuff. And when you go on those kind of trips, like you, everything that you bring, you're going to end up giving it away because the people have so many needs. And three days in, I've already given my sweater away. I've given a jacket away. You know, I've got. So I'm at this mark and market and this guy is um, um, bartering with me. I wanted this chair made. They were making chairs literally out of tree bark and I wanted oh, wow. a chair made. And he's like, uh, I don't you know, he's like, OK. I want, I want your shoes. And I'm like, no, I can't give you my shoes. I can't give you my shoes, but I will give you this watch. And I have this watch on and it was a, it was a, a you know, it was a, it was an expensive watch, but it was worth more than that chair was going to be worth. Right. And I told him like, no, this watch is worth more than your chair. It's probably, and it's worth way more than these shoes I have. On. And this is what the guy told me. He says, look around you. He says, where am I going to go? Where do I have to be on time? He said, I don't, he said, what I, I don't need a watch. What I need, and he showed me his flip-flops. He said, I need shoes. That's more expensive to me than your watch is. So I'm like, oh God, I'm tearing up and I take my, you know, I take my shoes off. It's like, okay, if I can find some flip-flops in this market somewhere, you can have my sneakers and you don't even have to make the chair. You can have the sneakers. But what, but it was, it was, it was the lesson that I learned because I had nothing. 
I had nothing left. I had four days remaining in Nigeria and had given away all my clothes, practically except the clothes on my back and literally the shoes off my feet. Uh-huh. And what and what I learned was I'm not going to be able to give enough to fix all the things that are broken. Right. So I have to give something that can last more than whatever I had in my suitcase. And for the last four days, I kept telling people, hang in there. I kept challenging people saying, it doesn't have to always be like this. I kept telling people, look how beautiful your family is. You've got the world. I kept telling, and I realized how that was challenging people in a different space because I was forced to have to think that way because I had nothing more to give mm. except for the energy God gave me, the good words that were in my heart. And I learned how impactful those words could be. I still have people today from my first visit to Nigeria that I keep in contact with that were impacted by not what I tangibly gave, but what I gave from my heart that day. So we all have that. We all have something from the heart to give. Well, and I believe it because if we look at just out of everything we have, one of the most valuable things any of us have is time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and there's something magical about when we when we give time, energy, and are truly present with people. Mm-hmm. That it, mm-hmm. it really makes a huge difference. And, you know, I think one of the things that bridged me not only to this podcast, but even to become a psychiatrist was the, that power of being present and, and using how people's thoughts and emotions significantly impact their quality of life. Mm -hmm. And when I, I remember even writing my personal statement for, Mm -hmm. for residency and, you know, for all y'all out there, I had to apply to so many things <laughs> before, before I became what I am. It's like you do all these these statements and applications for college, then you do it again for med school, then you do it again for residency. I'm a subspecialist. I did it again. And one of the things that was was in there is to me a comparison that reminds me of what you were talking about is how a lot of us and Terrell will remember this. You know, you drive through St. Louis City Ironically, if, if you weren't in the projects, this, the crazy thing is people didn't have a lot of money, but these houses had porches. Right. Like drive, <laughs> like my grandmother lived on Shreve, yeah. driving down Shreve, <laughs> and people would all be on these porches. Now, they might not have two pennies to rub together, a pot to piss on, or anything. And my mother's family's from rural Missouri. Mm-hmm. So it's like you could be in the country and you'd see these people, and they were legitimately happy. They didn't have a lot of possessions. They didn't have hardly any financial resources, but they were able to find joy and hold on to their blessings. While then you could see people that were very wealthy who seemed from the outside to have it all that were totally miserable and at sometimes were even completing suicide. Mm -hmm. And, and it was something that was like, what is there that shifts that quality of life where people can squeeze every bit of ounce of life out of a moment and they don't seem to have much on the outside where the person that seems like they have everything can't seem to do that. And I think that's one of those, some of the intersections with mental health, 
the church and all of those things come together because there's something about our thoughts and our emotions that really lends meaning to uh, the walk we have on this world or on this earth. Yeah. I think one of the things that was powerful um, that you said, if I could piggyback off of it, is we were taught in, in seminary to listen to the threads of hope when someone, when you're counseling mm-hmm. someone, if there, if there's, if, are they projecting in the future? Do they see themselves in the right. future? Are they saying anything that speaks to the future? But one of the things they gave each other and they gave us was they made each other feel like they matter. Mm-hmm. When you say, no matter what they were going through, even if they wanted to complain about it, and my grandmother's house was a house where everybody came to, right? And her her children, her grandchildren, and all of the extended children that she accumulated through the years, they come by her house, and you could sit, and at any moment she was holding court, giving hope away, reminding people why they have to keep pressing and why they have to keep going. And before you realized it, you laid your burden off of your shoulders and you put it at her feet and you walked away lighter. And giving reason and giving hope away is critical. And I think it's important. And for your listeners, and and many of us tune in to you so that we can hear something that will spark our hope or spark our, 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 I can make it, that thing that's in us that says, I can do this thing. We, we tune in to, to hear that. And that's what you give away. And that's what I feel like has been my God-given calling to give away, is to give away the hope that your life matters, your journey matters, whatever you've been through. It's, it's, I get it that it felt crappy, but it is redeemable for something and redeemable for someone. And that person looks like you, is in your circle, or maybe beyond your circle. So... That's the power of what we get to do. And when you called and asked if I could be on the show, because I'm low-key be watching you. And, um, <laughs> and uh, but, but I want to be a part these days. I want to be a part of the conversation that helps bridge people from brokenness to hope. You know, that's the, that's the conversation that I'm, a, I'm about of. And it tells people, hey, because I'm a coach. On the inside, I mean, I'm talking real chill to you now, but I do get in people's face a little bit and and remind them (laughs) that, you know, you have a responsibility to all the good stuff inside of you to to give it to the world. You know, die empty. Don't die full of all these great ideas and great, great concepts and great words. Go ahead and give them away. That's what they're there for. Yeah. One of my coaches um, who may be on here um, at some point, Dr. Dre, he says that you're literally, you're robbing or hurting other people by not using your gifts because there's someone out there that needs you and your gifts. So if you don't use your gifts, there's someone that needs you that you aren't serving. Yeah. If, if one thing that we've learned in COVID-19, it should be this, and I agree with um, your coach. If it's one thing we learned in COVID-19, we need each other. Yes. COVID-19 has taught us that there is an intrinsic aspect of who we are that desires to be interconnected in some form or fashion, which means that we need each other. I feel complete. I feel more alive with uh, with knowing that there's community that right. is within emotional, physical, at times intangible shot of me, and we need that. And we have to give that part of ourselves away to create community. 
community is not just who you receive, but who you give yourself to. Right. And somebody needs you to give yourself to as much as you need somebody to give themselves over to you. Mm-hmm. So it is a it's a reciprocal kind of transaction that takes place. It is a heart transaction. It's not a monetary transaction or what can you do for me? Yeah. But if but somebody needs that. Somebody needs that. This is one of the funny things that we do, interesting things that we used to do at our church before COVID-19. I don't know how it's going to work out now. But I used to tell, we have a portion of period where you greet other people. And I tell them, find somebody, give them a big hug for no reason at all. Find somebody, give them a big hug for no reason at all. The reason why we started that tradition at our church was about 20 years ago, I was speaking at a conference And afterwards, I guess I touched somebody and they were really blessed by me speaking. And I gave this person a hug. And this lady said back to me, this is the first time I've gotten a hug from a man in 20 something years that did not hurt me, take something from me. She just bawled and cried. She says, the first hug I've given away in over 10 years. And I thought to myself, like, you just never know what people are going through. And you never know. So I'm a hugger now because you never know who's, you know, you just never yeah. know. Like, man, and I'll ask you like, man, can I hug you? Are you comfortable getting a hug? Because I'm a hugger. And you just never know yeah. what people are dealing with and what they're going through. And and we started that as a tradition in our faith community. It's just like, hey, man, find somebody and give them a big hug because you just never know. This might be the first hug they've gotten in, yeah. you know, a month, a week, a year. So for a lot of us coming out of COVID-19, we need to know that somebody's there yeah. for us. Well, and I love it because I always remember, I I grew up in kind of two sets of churches because my dad's family was Baptist. My mother's family was Catholic. And I always remember the peace be with you. <laughs> the peace be with you. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> yes. But, but in, in my, if I put my psychiatrist hat on, it's amazing the amount of people you talk to that are not just lonely, but haven't been touched that don't have human connection. And one of the hugest things that I hate that trauma steals from people is the ability to create any kind of safe space Mm. that they, or feel like anyone is safe. So I talk to people all day long who I'm sure haven't been touched by anyone because they're just don't trust anybody. So I, I think a lot of what you're doing is important because it's it's like a not just a mission of hope, but it's a mission of love mm. where you're growing and cultivating love. And as you grow and cultivate love in others, then they go forth and grow and cultivate more love in other people. And I, I feel like for not only this specific time, and it's even to me even more more important is that we need all of this love because there is, and I will say it, there is way too much crazy going on right now. Way too much crazy. And and this love is is powerful. And I think the other thing people realize is not only do we need human connection because that's part of our humanity, is I, I think a lot of people started to get wake-ups of realizing mm-hmm. what were the quality of their relationships. What relationships were were really good, which ones were would fill their cup or that they feel supported. And what were some relationships that 
either weren't important or, or weren't close or were just different kinds of relationships. And I think yeah. this is a beautiful time to to start having those moments and, and really looking at what relationships pour into you and which ones are ones that you only pour out towards. Mm-hmm. And there was there was something you said in your book, and I want to make sure I I I get it right. It was towards the end where you said, who or what do I need to turn away from in order to secure my dream? And I, I felt like that was super powerful because a lot of times we all sit and talk about the energy that we keep around us and how that affects our own energy. And I love how you you broke down in that chapter a lot of the different reasons why it's so important to be mindful of what you're surrounding yourself. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Absolutely. In, in various seasons of your life, um, you're going to have to answer that question more than once. In almost every season of your life, particularly for people that are on the ascension of something, you know, they want to grow in business or grow in their personal development or whatever. Life is about who you bring in, but also who you're willing to let go. McLeod writes a mm-hmm. book called um, Necessary Endings. And, he, and in the beginning of his book, he talks about, he spends a lot of time talking about how natural beginnings are. And how beginnings are so easy because they're, they're unknowns, there's attractions and connections. But, but he also pins his whole book about for just as necessary as beginnings are, endings are equally necessary. In our world, we mostly have to let go of something in order to embrace something else. And in various seasons of your life, you're going to have to ask yourself that difficult question. What is what what needs to be let go of? Who need who do I need to let go? What mindset do I need to free myself from in this season? What activities am I doing that I do I need to let go of? And that looks different for each person in every season of their lives. That when you talk about growth and transformation and and wholeness and healing and things of those natures, that we we have to bring and embrace the things in our lives that will will make us such. And we have to detach, which is the hard thing to do, because some of the things that we attached ourselves to served us. Some of the things we need to detach ourselves to actually served us in that season that we attached to. Like they were a great friend for two, three, four, five years, or they were super helpful in my healing after divorce. So they were really cool when I was by myself. But when your life has shifted into another season, then you have to ask yourself, how do I maintain and manage something that was good for me last season when it's not so healthy for me in this season? And, and that's a challenge for us because we have an unrighteous relationship with loyalty. The reason why I say that is because I'm dealing with that in my own life now. I'm, I'm shifting seasons. And I'm moving into a different season of, of my, my career. I'm moving into a different season of my, my personal development. And I'm wrestling with how do I have those difficult conversations to people that I feel loyal to? That am I being loyal to them because we grew together or we built things together or we did some good things together. And now I feel like there's a sense of loyalty that I owe them. But at the same time, I realize that I cannot go with them 
to my next level. Like for whatever reason. And it's not a negative or a bad thing. It's just that when a rocket ship goes up, it eventually throws off into the atmosphere the propellers that helped get it off the ground. When a rocket goes to the moon, it can't take with it the, the engines that got it off the ground. When it gets up to the next atmosphere, it breaks those off and they float in that atmosphere and the rocket goes on to finish what it has to do. Our lives are the same way. Our lives are the same way. Some people help us get moving and get going or they get us through a season or they propel us through a season, but they're not meant to go to the moon with us. They have their own journey. But I can ruin my journey and their journey by trying to take them. Yeah. It's okay. So the question is, how many places in your life do we have to put an end to the journey? And that's hard to do. That's hard to do. It's difficult to do when people loved you in tough spots. And it's difficult to do when people have been your friend. It's difficult to do when, you know, you have some things in common. But one or two things are going to happen. Either you're going to slow your life down for them or you run the risk at potentially bankrupting their life, demanding that they keep up with you. So decisions have to be made. And that's when I tell my adult, my adult clients, you got to put your big boy britches on. You got to put your big girl britches on because this is adulting. Adulting. <laughs> <laughs> so I heard less. Jeez, Les's last name forgets me, but the famous Brown? speaker, Les Brown. Les Brown. Les Brown. Yes, I know. He's only the best at what he has done. Les Brown says that you are within $5,000, five to $10,000 of the five people you hang around the most. He says you're within five to $10,000 of the five people you hang around the most. And then he said, apply that, that monetary analogy to emotional intelligence, to emo, uh, to personal development, mm-hmm. to other, to spirituality. So the five or so people that you're around the most, you're, you're within eyeshot of their, them. They mirror your journey. But what happens when you realize that you have more capacity? What happens when you realize you have more capacity? My son is one years old. He's every bit of a foot and a half tall. And he gets hungry the same way I get hungry. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wants to eat around the same time every day that I want to eat. The problem is that it takes more food to fill me up than it takes to fill him up. And it's only not because he doesn't get hungry. It's because I have more capacity. So what happens in life when you're around a group of people and they get full off of $70,000 a year and it doesn't satisfy you or they get full off of, you know, a certain level and quality of life, but it doesn't satisfy you. Like what happens when you look up and you realize like, man, I have more capacity in my life. So I, I want to work more than one job or I want to work on a side hustle or I want to, you know, try to impact people's lives in a different way. Decisions have to be made. At some point in time, when me and my son are eating, I kind of got to break off from him and go finish <laughs> what he can't do. <laughs> what he can't do. And we've, and that's, I know that's a small analogy. <laughs> I know that's a small analogy, but Erica, that's adulting. That's adulting. I think we limit ourselves 
at spaces because when we get into certain seasons of our lives and we start realizing that I've got more capacity than the community around me that I've built, we don't want to take that next step because that next step might mean a certain level of detachment from who we have become comfortable being around. And it does deter, it does. That's the reality. It, It does require a certain level of detachment, but it doesn't mean detachment doesn't mean disassociation. It doesn't mean we can't be friends. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean we're not. It just means that I need the space to go chase this part of my life, whether it's emotional healing, physical healing, um, economic goals, job goals and career goals, whatever it might be, your your friends will allow you the space to, to put an end to where they where they've been able to supply you and allow you to go seek it from some someplace else. And in the spaces that you meet, it has to be filling enough. It really kills me sometimes how brilliant all of these old wives' tales and all these old sayings were. Because there was that saying of everyone has a reason, season, or lifetime. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that I feel like until you get older, you don't really understand what that is. And it's there's something, there's a part of growth work that happens when you're able to not only realize when it's a reason, season, or lifetime, but you can actually acknowledge and and move forward with that, that there's some people that were a season. If you hold on to them like a lifetime, it's not going to help anybody. And there are people that were there for a reason. And then there are the people that were there for lifetimes and, and being able to emotionally modulate when there are the times where you thought someone was a lifetime and they're a season. Yeah. And, and the older you get, and I'm not going to say how old we are, but we are not sports <laughs> anymore, even though we both look very youthful. Yes, it doesn't crack. We, we look youthful, but it's the older you get, you start really realizing that difference. And I, I think the power for a lot of people that not only are successful, but that don't carry some of this additional emotional baggage is being able to recognize that and put it, put all these relationships in their place right. and where, and then get to a point where you can heal enough to know, Oh, this was great for what it was right. and not be having extensive grieving on and on. Cause people grieve a lot of things, you know, they may grieve. We, a lot of times we talk about loss and the concept of death or, or, or relationships failing and divorce and that kind of stuff. But People grieve losses of friendships probably just as much as losses or ends to romantic relationships. Erica, I think that, Dr. Erica, I think that that you just hit on something that we don't talk about enough in our world, which is dealing with grief. That grief is not regulated just to loss of life. It's the loss of anything. Anything that you staked an identity in you're going to grieve it when you lose it. You know, it could be the loss of a job. I've watched people cry over losing a job with a better job in hand. I've watched them cry because they lost a job because they gave so much of themselves and there's a sense of identity staked in their marriage or staked into their relationship with their children or staked into their job or or staked into their friendship. And when it's time for those things to transition, for whatever reason, now it's time for your son to get married 
and he has to have another first lady in his life, it does have a period of grief to it. Now, how you manage that and how you move on from that is going to be critical. And as we talk about moving in seasons of our lives and in levels of our journey, we, we grieve moving levels. We grieve, I'm, I'm literally, I'm telling you this because I'm going through this right now. <laughs> I've been I'm saying this. Sending you virtual hugs. Sending virtual I'm hugs. taking it. I'm taking it. We're going through this right now as I shift and as I transition into something that better serves my season. It better serves the season of life that I'm in right now. As I transition, I find myself grieving what I'm moving away from, who I'm moving away from. I find myself grieving the what it used to be. I find myself say, grieving, but I also find because of the work I do, how natural that is, is to go ahead and embrace it because we did some great things in last season, embrace it because we had some good times and some great successes in the last season. But I, but I'm also hopeful for everything that will be built in this new season of my life, everything that already foundationally is working itself out. And my hope for my, my, my now supersedes the grief for my yesterday. And that's what I challenge your listeners to. When you walk in faith and you walk in hope, then your right now and your tomorrow can supersede the grief of your yesterday. But there is a power within you. There is community around you that can help you put a necessary ending to some of the seasons of our lives that, that it's just time to move away from. It's just time for you to go be amazing and do even more amazing things in this world. You're rocking on this. I, a little birdie told me you're working on a new project or a new book. Is is some of this in there? <laughs> yes, some of it is in there. Um, <laughs> I, I got. I, I thank you for saying that. I do have a new project coming out. It's called Execute, and Execute is all about taking advantages of the seasons, the season of now. You know, I'm, I, I think this about life, and it's just the way that I feel life from an existential perspective. I think we operate and flow in seasons of our lives. And what a season is, is it's the time for certain things to grow. If you were into agriculture, you always have your eye on the seasons. And seasons are, right. are, will determine when you plant. It determines when you go get harvest. It determines when you rest. And based off of the season... The farmer knows what he or she needs to do or how they need to adjust their life. The thing about seasons is that seasons are not marked on the calendar. The, the calendar has said it's summer, it's springtime a month ago. But if you are on the east or you're in the upper northeast of the country, it still feels like it's winter. So seasons are not determined by calendar. The season is discerned. You go outside and you realize like, hey, we have some consistent days of sunlight and warmth. Maybe we have really now turned the corner. And it's the same way with our own lives. I can't just tell you that your life should be changed. You have to discern that this is the season for things to shift. Ah, I wish it was that easy. I wish it was that easy. You have to discern. I know. I wish it was as easy as somebody just telling me. Now, there is a power (laughs) of, of being ignited by somebody. But you have to determine the seasons of your life. You have to determine when you can, when, when the season is for, for family and when, when should I be working on business and when should I, and when you kind of move with that flow, I think this is my, my, my thought and the way I write it in this book, 
I think God in the universe works with people that can discern their seasons, that understands their season. And when you understand your seasons, you'll know when it's time, when it's your season to plant, when it's your season to go reap harvest, when it's your season to work and heal and grow and, th- and do all of these things and operating and valuing and respecting the seasons of life that you're in will, will help you heal faster and help you get, get pushed through certain levels of, of trauma and pain, but it'll also help you not be so disappointed in life. If a farmer comes out in the wintertime with a full expectation that there should be corn coming out of the ground, he's going to be disappointed every winter. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we, we go into the winter seasons of our lives fully expectant that my business should thrive or I'm going to meet somebody that's amazing or, you know, that, that we fully expect that. But when you don't discern seasons and when you don't properly align your actions with the season that you're in, you set yourself up for disappointment every time. So there is a synergy that has to happen. There is a speeding up or a slowing down that has to happen so that we can catch sync with the seasons of life that, that we find ourselves in. And then you make your decisions in life based off of the season in life that you're in. So particularly for some of your more multi-gifted listeners, you can do everything that's in your heart to do. You just can't do it all right now. It has to be done in its proper season. So execute is about recognizing the season you're in and taking advantage and executing on your dreams and your goals and all that good stuff in its proper season. So I I took some time to write that book because I'm in a season of execution right now. And I've been pushing, you know, obviously the new book, but also a script that we have. We are unveiling our own online uh, conversation here in the next, in the coming months, masterclass, podcast, that whole thing. So we realized that we're in a season that I've caught some traction again and um, people are, their eyes are on what we're, we're doing. And we're going to wrap our dialogue around family and faith and, and motivation and what it's like to have to be a dad and motivate the world at the same time. We're going to have a lot of fun in that space. But this is a great season of execution for me. It's like all these dreams, they have to get out of your head into the real world or you'll be frustrated. Your goals have to get out of your head and into the real world or you'll be you'll feel like you're constipated with great things. So look out for that in the fall. You know, in the fall or wintertime, it'll be a great gift for yourself or for your family. Um, And at the proper time, maybe I get to come back on the podcast. Oh, I would love it. I'm so excited. And as as I told you all, I don't. I don't say I'm looking forward to reading anything I really don't want to read, but I'm, I'm really excited. And I, I, I love that you have this gift of being so relatable when if someone looks on the outside and doesn't know anything behind it, someone may look at you and think, I have nothing in common with this dude. Mm. I don't, I didn't play professional sports. I don't do any of that ministry stuff. My relationships don't look that great. I got, and he's really handsome. I ain't got nothing in common with him. And, and I love the fact that you find ways to continue to be relatable by also letting people have a peek behind the curtain. Thank you for that. I do appreciate that. 
I wish I could take credit for it. My mom and dad <laughs> are the ones that take credit for that. Uh, I, I give them. Uh, but I tell you one thing, it's it's always encouraging to hear because that's always the goal. The goal mm-hmm. is to be human. Nothing above, nothing beyond, but to be human. And for me, that helps me have a lot of gratitude about the circumstances that God has placed me in. I'm really excited about that. I have a lot of gratitude toward that. But also to know that my my journey is everybody's journey. You know, my it just looked different, mm-hmm. but it's still heartaches, it's still disappointments, it's successes, it's wins, it's yeah. wins that mattered to me and wins that were empty to me. There were lots of things, and and I do tell some of the story in the book of you. Some of the some of your um, listeners may not know, but I was I was divorced. I was married. I got divorced after eight years of marriage. We got divorced, and that was like one of the worst times in my life. And I remember thinking that I will never love the way that I loved in my marriage. That I will never be able to give that away to another person. And I learned from friends. I had community that came into my life at the time who were able to help me rebuild the structure of my life, to be honest with you, because I questioned it all. Once it falls, it's like, what what was my foundation? And I had people that helped me rebuild it and rebuild it to the degree that I wanted something different out of my life. And I realized that when I realized that my taste for and my appetite was different, then I realized that there was another flavor, that there was somebody else that could satisfy my heart, that could be a blessing to my life, that I could love with all that that I am and love the new revised version of me. You know, I was really and then I got excited to give that away. And then I found, you know, some years later, I found my, my current wife and. Like, you know, we, we're going to go to the grave together because because I made a decision that was based off of a different set of criteria than I made the first one off of. And not to say not to trash that because that served this purpose as well. I became more empathetic to regular people's journey. I became empathetic to the guy down the street or the guy up the street or the other 47 percent of Americans that have been through a divorce. I get it now. But I also get all the journey of, well, what does that mean when you're in ministry and you get divorced? And what does that mean when you are a motivational speaker and, you know, you have a breakdown in that area of your life? How does that work itself out? And I had to rebuild those pieces, too. So the whole matrix is built on something different, but it's stronger, it's more lasting, it's higher and it's taller than it ever could have been because of the person I became after the trauma. The person I became after the trauma is much more capable than the person I was before. So that's, um, so I appreciate you seeing that. And I don't mind telling the reality and the truth that maybe I do come across as, and there are people that say, oh man, you should wear more of your trappings or you should come across as being more of an expert and you should, and, um, and maybe, maybe, for some audiences, I should, and maybe I do in certain places, but it's always important to me that by the time someone gets finished dialogue and is spending a handful of moments to me, they know that we're two human beings looking at each other, 
that value, that I value them. I value their journey. I value how they orientate themselves in this world. I value the way they move about it for day to day. And while I may not agree with everything that is done or the, you know, all of your belief system, all those things, you're human to me. And because of that, I'm going to make sure you have bread. I'm going to make sure you have the best that I have to give. And I, I wish I could take credit for that. But life has taught me that. And my parents taught me that. I'm down with that. It's okay if folks taught you. That's good. <laughs> and, and that was such a great moment that uh, this is the perfect spot for us to take a quick commercial break. So we'll be back in a moment after you hear a word from our sponsors. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. And we're back. You know, we always have to have those sponsors. Gotta pay the bills. So we are back with my guest, Terrell Fletcher, and we're going to transition into my speed round. So this is where I'm going to give you a speed round of some questions. And I can't wait to hear what you say. So the first one is, what is the best lesson you learned from your mom? Great question. The best lesson that I learned from my mom is the power of family. She didn't have an adage or she didn't have a a real cute way of saying it, but essentially what she was explaining to us is that your family is your outlet and you've got to plug into it from time to time. Don't go do your life so much or your, your battery will deplete. But family, the way we structured our family and the way you choose to structure your family, make it the center of your power. So you always can just plug in from time to time and have the the energy and the motivation and um, the excitement to go do what you need to get done. Oh, now I'm feeling warm and fuzzy. Like, do I even ask the rest (laughs) of the questions? Because I'm just so warm and fuzzy. Uh, So the the next one, I'm going to keep going anyway, is what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Great question. The piece of advice I would give my younger self is slow down. Things don't happen when you want them to happen. They happen when they're supposed to happen. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time just hustling, hustling, grinding, grinding, grinding. And uh, and I would like to think I contributed to some of the monumental moments of my life. But some of them weren't going to come until I became a certain type of person anyway. So, you know, so they will happen when they're supposed to happen. When When I grow and develop and become, I'll be ready for certain moments. Oh, I love that. And I feel like that's another TF said it. A TF said it. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get part of the marketing budget. <laughs> I did. okay. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> All right. Now, what is a favorite gift to yourself? It could be big. It could be small. My favorite gift to myself is some kind of dessert. Some kind of dessert. <laughs> That's my favorite gift to myself. I don't eat a lot. Like, I like hard candy, but I don't eat, like, donuts and doughy stuff. I don't eat a lot of stuff like that. But there's this little little cake that has this buttermilk 
in the center and when they make it warm. And the last couple years, that has been my little treat to myself. You know, I, it's been my little treat to myself. Yeah, it's something that's something that's dessert to eat. I'm not a big dessert eater. Oh, you're making me think of good old school gooey butter cake. Oh my God, I've not heard that. I tried to tell my wife about gooey butter cake and she was like, that's not a thing for real. <laughs> I was like, wait till we go back to St. Louis. I'm going to get you some gooey butter cake. But that's the St. Louis thing. You know that. You can't find that in too many I other places. I did not know it. It is. I Look it up. It's that. a Saint. It's something almost indigenous to St. Louis. Gooey butter cake. <laughs> the next one is you have a day off. What are you looking forward to doing? Oh, going to the ocean. Going to the beach. With, with almost every day off. I'm trying to wipe up my tears of living somewhere landlocked for forever. Oh, oh, I, I am a Californian through and through at this stage of my life. I'm in flip-flops right now. So I'm in my office at work in flip-flops. So I, I'm i a Californian through and through to me many years ago. Many years ago, uh, I fell in love with the ocean. And I realized for me... Nature is a de-stressor. Nature is a de-stressor. My headaches go away. My tension goes away when I go down and I sit at the beach. So I could either jump in the water. I could go grab lunch. I can go have coffee, breakfast. Every opportunity that I get that is my own, I will go down and spend it at the beach. San Diego has the most beautiful like landscapes um, you know, that you'll ever see. So you can sit on a cliff and sit, look at the ocean. I can literally go to the beach. And, and look at the ocean and I don't care where you live in San Diego, you're no longer than 15 minutes away from the water. So it doesn't matter where you live. You can be in the richest place, the poorest place. You're, 10, you're, you're 15 minutes away from water somewhere, you know? Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, you could be a brand ambassador for, for San Diego tourism. I, I could, when it comes to the ocean, I really could. I take my children down there. I take my daughter loves it. So she's she's becoming a big fan of going down there. So I love that when she gets out of school. Can we go down to the water? Uh, you know, and it's like, yeah, let's just take a drive down. And I love it because it's medicine for me. Oh, I love that. So the next one, I, I can't wait to see what you say for this one. What is one thing that you do? When someone either disrespects you or underestimates you, I win. <laughs> I win. When you disrespect me or underestimate me, I just try my best to give you a reason to eat your words. And I and I'm not a vindictive kind of person. And at this stage of my journey, I'm very selective of the projects I go after. Mm -hmm. So if I go after it, I feel pretty good about that I should be going after it. So if you tell <laughs> me I shouldn't be or that I can't, then you've insulted more than my ability. You, you see what I mean? You've insulted more than just my yeah. ability. You've insulted kind of my intuition. You've insulted. So I just keep, I, it makes me double down. Now I'm not motivated by haters and I'm not motivated by people that that do stuff. And I generally don't do my world with people that, that can disrespect me regularly. Um, so if it's disrespect, it's usually on accident or they didn't know they was disrespecting me, but it's just the way I interpret <laughs> You know, it's the way I interpret it. It's like, oh, you don't think I could do a movie script. Okay. 
Hmm. <laughs> so let's go in. I, I want to say this before, because um, I know you got a, a series of questions, but this has been on my mind since we were since we were talking about purpose and, and significance and things mm-hmm. like that. There were, and I know this is a left turn, totally off what we are currently talking about. You, you but can, I do. You wanna, can turn. It's all good. Yeah, I do want to say this to your audience. I was playing. A, we were in the, in the middle of a game. We we're playing the Kansas City Chiefs, and in football, it's all about bravado and. You know, you're you're kind of trained to hate the dude you're playing against, right? And mm-hmm. you don't help them, and you make them work for everything. It, you see it all the time in sports, you know. And in this particular instance, the guy that we were blocking, he actually got hurt, so he was down right at my feet, and he got hurt. And I, my initial instinct was to lean in and help him get up. But it was right by our sideline. And I heard my whole team, like, saying, let him stay there. Let him stay there, Fletch. Let him, he'll get up. Let him stay there. He don't want any more. Let him stay there. And, it was, and I was so conflicted between who I was as an individual mm. versus what my, what the, the world I was in was demanding of me. And I had a coach in the middle of all of those people looked at me and he said to me, go ahead, help get him up. I mean, he said it like it was so matter of fact, like he's a man that's hurt, help him up. In the middle of my whole team and teammates saying, let him lay there, let him stay down. In the middle of all that, he just said, he just was like, go ahead, help him up. He didn't judge me for it. It didn't make me less of a macho man, a football guy to him. He just saw it as allowing me to act in my authentic self. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is, and I did, I ended up helping guy up. He was hurt bad, so he he fell back down, but I did, you know, but I said that to say this. That what coach, his name was Ali, what coach Ali gave me in that time, he gave me permission to be me, permission to be authentic. He said, "Go, regardless of what the world is saying around you, I just feel like I need to give somebody that's listening today permission to be themselves, permission to be your authentic self, to live life fearlessly to try what's in your heart to do, to walk this world out according to the way and the, 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 the muster in which you are right in this moment of your journey and to not let the world and the people around you and the, the voices around you make you move off of your authenticity. You're a lover. Go love people. You're a helper. Go help people. You're empathetic. Go be empathetic. Like, don't let the world make you go to the red corner or the blue corner. Don't make the world make you be Democrat or be Republican. Don't make the world make you be black or be white. Make, go and be who your authentic self can be. And that way you can, you're going to help a lot of people that look like you. You help a lot of people that believe like you. But guess what? Your authentic self is also going to help you be a blessing to a lot of people that aren't. And that's what our that's what our world needs today. Mm-hmm. 
Our world needs people that are authentic and are not letting the stuff in our world silo us. And some of us, some of our unhappiness is that I can't go be happy. Some of our, some of our unhappiness yeah. is that my circle won't let me be happy. I have to be angry all the time because I'm female or because I'm black or because I'm, I got to just be mad all the time. Then I can never be authentic. I can never find joy. I can never find happiness. And I'm releasing somebody that's watching. Man, I'm giving you permission the same way my coach gave me permission. Go be yourself. Go love people. Go build bridges. Go be authentic. And the world needs more authenticity. So um, that's what I wanted to share. I, w- I would drop my mic, but it would jack the heck up this rep- recording. So you out there, act like I'm dropping a mic and you just heard, wait, good. I mean, because I'm like, well, we're going to change up the format because I feel like that was a word right there. Mm, that, that was it. But I, I love that. That just I felt that all up in my spirit, all up in my heart. And I'm sure there is someone that needed to hear that. Good. All right. I also want to thank you that you were giving so much hope and so much inspiration to people. You're inspiring me and just being on this podcast with you, having, having, you know, dialogues about things that give life, you know, things that inspire and, and you being your authentic self. And you've always been yourself. Oh. You've always been this person, bubbly, friendly. <laughs> you've always been that. And, and you got blinders on. You're like, I'm going to do me and I'm going to be me. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, that's a beautiful thing, but we all learn, we can all learn from that. So thank you for this platform. Thank you for the example that you give us all. And I am inspired by being on your platform. So I appreciate you. Can I just say you're about to make me cry. And um, luckily this is audio. So folks will not be seeing all of the shenanigans. And luckily I haven't (laughs) gone anywhere because, you know, I'm doing all of the things you're not supposed to do in COVID. I am touching my face. And, you know, we aren't supposed to be touching our face. I'm touching my face. Um, I I just, I just feel so, so blessed and, and to be able to not only soak up all of your energy and all of these wonderful things you have to say to be able to be a place where I can share that with, with others is, is just really, it's, it's just a blessing. There's really nothing else I could say about it. But I do want to ask you to let the people know, where can they find you? Where can they get some more Terrell? Oh, Fletcher's? great, great, great. You can, well, I'm on all social media platforms, Terrell Fletcher, at Terrell Fletcher on every social media platform, one word. So you can catch me on IG, Facebook, Twitter. You know, my team just got me on this, uh, what is it, Clubhouse? They just got me oh, on Clubhouse. So we're, yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have some dialogues on Clubhouse and that should be pretty cool. You can also catch me at meetterrell.com. Or TerrellFletcher.com is pretty much the same thing. We are uh, up tuning, revamping, doing some things because we're in a new season, but it's still an easy way to connect. More than anything, I just want you to follow and soak up the content, and you'll you'll get a chance to see me at my best. And, and sometimes I, I post about me being at my worst, <laughs> and you'll see me be 
put together and at times unhinged. When you got young kids, sometimes they'll make you unhinged. But <laughs> my, it's all about the inspiration in my journey. I love my family. I love my children. And I feel like I'm a vessel for wisdom. So I try to give all of that doing every platform that I have. So I hope to hope to catch up with you. And if you're in the faith world and you want to connect with the City of Hope International Church, you can find us online at thecityonline.com, thecityonline.com. So if you're near San Diego or you want to catch us on streaming, you can check that out too. Yay. Yay. He has all the cool stuff. I've I've kind of gone and checked him out on all of his websites and the stuff. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was literally at home on my couch pouting when you had the announcement come out this weekend that church in the parking lot was canceled because of inclement weather. Like, I was like, oh my God. But then it was like, oh, it's streaming, but they still stream. <laughs> <laughs> How dare. The world and God decide that they're going to make it rain in Southern California. So we're like, ah! <laughs> oh my God. So, so oh, yes, dear God do that to us. Definitely follow him. Check out all of his stuff. It is all some, some, it's just great. There's just no other way to say it. It's, you will, you will be entertained and inspired all at the same time. And who doesn't love all of that? So again, I want to say, Thank you so much, not only for just being here, but for all your kind words, because I feel like this has helped my personal self-esteem today. (laughs) And I want to say thank you. Thank you. And I want to say thank you to all of you out there that are listening that trust me enough to have myself and Terrell in your ears today, that you are listening. And I hope we were able to say at least one thing that makes your life better So I look forward to seeing you next week. As you know, these episodes drop weekly. And I just want to say, until then, have a better day. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Dr. Erica at D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A and online at betterthepodcast.com. Follow her to get practical strategies to deal with feelings of frustration and overwhelm so you can be a thriving star in your own life story. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe button and also leave a review. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, be better, do better, live better.